Colossians tonight. Last week we took a little detour. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. We study through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we really believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And um, we find ourselves in a very interesting portion of Colossians here tonight. And I'm excited for it for many reasons. And I believe that you will see why as we, we navigate through it. So I'll read through it, we'll pray, and then we'll get in, into what I believe that the Lord has in store for us tonight. Colossians 3, we've come as far as verse 18, and we're going to go to Colossians 4 and verse 1. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give to your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word here tonight. Thank you that you have put, uh, Lord, your word has been so clear to us. And Father, we pray that you would illuminate this text to us, that it would um, take root in our hearts, Lord, that it would speak to us, that it would prepare us for what you have in store for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you are just jumping into this book with us, you, you kind of jump in at an uh, interesting point tonight. Uh, Paul is obviously talking about the roles of wives, the roles of husbands, the roles of fathers, the roles of, we'll just call it employers and employees here tonight. And it's a really practical portion of Scripture. We're almost done with the book of Colossians, and one dangerous thing when you're studying the Scriptures is to look at what God is asking you to do for Him before you realize what He's done for you. Paul never does that. In, in his epistles, in his letters, what he puts before us always first is what God has done for us before he ever tells us what we are to do for God. He always puts doctrine before duty. He always puts the, um, the, the, what God has done for us before what we're supposed to practically be doing for him. In Colossians 1 and 2, he, he really sets before us the sufficiency of Christ, the preeminence of Christ over all things. And we've, we dove into that in detail. If you want to listen to those studies, you can go back on the podcast and look at those. And, and, and then in chapter 3, he, he jumped into what we are supposed to be like as believers, where our affection is to be set upon. In Colossians 3 and verses 1 and 2, he says, If then you were raised with Christ and seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. What this book has done for us is shown us that we are otherworldly. Our lives are not supposed to look like the lives of those who conduct themselves in this world, namely because we are dead to our sin. And we are not only just dead to our sin, we are dead to the power of sin. Before we gave our lives to Christ, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins. 
But once you give your life to Christ, you're dead to sin and its power, and you've been raised in the newness of life. The Bible says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And if you're not a believer here tonight, trust that the weight of the sin that you feel in your life can be dealt with and can be cast away, and you could become a new creation in Christ Jesus through the sufficiency of his blood that was shed for you on the cross. And then he goes on to talk about the character of the new man, that we're not supposed to uh, be like who we were before Christ. Look at the, in verse 12. I just want to give like a, a running head start because we're jumping into a really practical portion of Scripture tonight. I want to give you a running head start of where we came from because we've been out of this book for a week. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And what I want to do in our portion tonight, because Paul is going to begin to break down what marriage is supposed to look like. Paul is going to break down what the family unit is supposed to look like. And all I'm attempting to do in this study tonight is I just want to put before you what the scripture says. Because the, the world has done such a great job of redefining love and redefining marriage and redefining what a home looks like that the world has largely become confused. And because we've become so confused, because we have redefined truth, we, we, we've become powerless. We've lost our peace. I'm so thankful for scripture because it puts before me a very black and white um, structure for what marriage is supposed to look like and what the home is supposed to look like. And more than likely what you'll do tonight as we, we go through this text is we can say, well, my home growing up didn't really look like this. And that's okay. Because it serves as an example of, of areas in your life to strive of what not to be like. Right? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home that was Christian in name only and not in deed. And therefore Christ, the, the, the Christ that was proclaimed was seemingly powerless in your home. I grew up in a home like that. We had to do all the do's and the don'ts and the go to church thing. But I didn't, I didn't see the power of God at work in my home. Because my home was out of order when I was growing up. And I've seen the blessing of God upon families who just seek to live the life that God has called them to live as believers. Two things that God loves more than anything. We, we may say we need revival in the church today. We may say we need revival in America. And the only way that there's ever going to be hope in this nation is if God pours out his spirit upon the church and there's revival again and there's the evangelizing of the world. And all those things are, 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 are true to a degree. But what, what America needs today is revival on the family level. Homes need to change. Marriages need to change. We need to operate in the God-ordained authority that's been placed upon us as husbands and wives. Look, I, I understand who I, I'm talking to. A majority of you in this room are not married. But this is something that is 
to be strived for. This is something as you're praying about marriage, you're to be looking for. It is, it is wise to prepare yourself before the calling, before you're walking in the calling. If you're, if you're a man here tonight, prepare to be the husband that God has called you to be. Don't taint yourself. Don't, don't give yourself to someone else when, uh, when, when, when you should be saving yourself for the woman that you're going to, to marry. You understand? Because whatever you do now, you're going to reap to that in your marriage. Women, don't, don't lower your standards for what you're supposed to be desiring in a husband. Because we're going to see tonight what your calling as a wife is. And this is not my opinion. This is God's opinion. This is not my order. This is God's order. And this is what God blesses. I think we are seeing, maybe you've come from a broken home. And what you're seeing is the outcome of of a family, of families that are living out of the God-ordained order that is set before them. Because God, God is a God of order. And he, is, and he is wiser than all of us. And He sets before us the order for a family in our text tonight. He sets before us the order of a family in Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3. And these are important. Why? Because the covenant of marriage is of the utmost importance to God. We have cheapened the covenant of marriage. Right when when I do a, a wedding s- service, it, it's it's for richer for poor in sickness and in health till death do us part. Commitment. One of the things when I do premarital, I always start off with is you, you got to understand you're committed to this marriage. There is no way out. So don't ever if you're entering into a relationship, you're entering into a marriage, and you're thinking maybe there's a way out. Don't get married because this is for life. This is forever. The word divorce should never come out of your mouth. It should never be an option. We, we've cheapened the role of a husband and a wife in a society today, so we've seen marriage cheapen. And you know who suffers for that? The children suffer. And you know who suffers for that? The children's children suffer. And the children's 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 children. So if we want to see God do a work in our lives, uh, we need to understand that, that to be a husband, to be a wife is a calling. I don't doubt all of you in this room desire this. Desire to be, uh, have a godly marriage. But it is wise to understand what it means to be a godly wife. What it means to be a godly husband. Uh, because you want God's blessing upon your life. So let's look at this. Let's look at what a Christian home really looks like. And I don't want you, as we're going through this, I want you to understand that this is what God desires for you. This is what God blesses. This is God's order. This is, what, what we're about to talk about right now is holy. It is sanctified. It is something that God loves. It is, it is a role that God has called you to as a husband, as a wife, and even as a child. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. I just want to unpack what this means right now. Because I, I don't doubt like there's, there's women in this room that are saying, yeah, I, I would love to submit to a godly man until you're married. And the calling to submit is challenged. Why is this so hard for some women? It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. Right? When, when Adam and Eve... F- fell into sin, and sin entered the world. You remember what the curse was? 
that your desire will be to rule over your husband, but your husband will rule over you. It is in the heart of a woman to rule over her husband, but you are to be, in sub- sub- subject, you're to be subjected to your husband. So we need to understand, ladies, you need, I'm trying to give you something that is helpful. I'm trying to put scripture before you. I understand the, the culture that we're living in, and I'm so thankful that, that scripture pierces through the culture. I'm so thankful for that. Women suffer today because they're not, they're not, they're, they're not living in the God-ordained, uh, anointed calling that God has set before them. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you, right? This word submission is an interesting word. It means to subject yourself under. This is important, single girls in here tonight, single women in here tonight. I remember hearing a story that G. Campbell Morgan once told in one of his commentaries, and there was this older lady who would sit in, 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 in the front row every Sunday morning. She was there, and he asked her, why, why have you never been married? And her response was, because I've never found anyone worth submitting to. That's a wise woman. Because the moment you enter into a marriage, you're going to be called to submission. But but I want want to walk through this with you. Notice what it goes on to say. Submit to your own husband. You submit to your, not, not another person's husband. Not another man. You're to submit to your own husband. We'll, we'll get to the men in a minute because there's more given to men than there is to women. And he goes on to say, as is fitting to the Lord. As is fitting to the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going we're gonna to go back and forth a little bit here tonight. Turn to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 22 through 33, he gives one exhortation. He gives one commandment to wives. It's the same commandment that's given in Colossians 3.18. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands, notice, as unto the Lord. A wife is an effective wife when she is looking unto the Lord. A wife is effective wife when she is walking in her calling and understanding that she's not submitting to her husband as much as she is submitting to the Lord. Go over to 1 Peter 3 with me. Like I said, I, I just want to put before you what Scripture says tonight because I believe in the power of just unleashing Scripture. 1 Peter 3, it says, Wives, likewise, here's the word again, Be submissive to your, here it is, to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair and the wearing of gold or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart that with an incorruptible beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive, and here's the word again, to their own husbands. This is a calling. 
This is the commandment of God to wives, to be submissive to their own husbands. Um, As you operate in a marriage, in a godly marriage, and again, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself because the Bible has a lot to say about what God has called men to do as husbands. But the burden, the Bible says that we are to love our wives and give honor to them as to the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean that women are weak. It doesn't mean that women are less. It means that men bear the burden of responsibility of not only decision making, but bearing um, the consequences of the decision that needs to be made. And, And women, as you walk into this calling as a wife, keep these things in mind. Bear these things in heart. Be a woman who is wise and who they are going to be married to. That's why it should not be primarily an emotional thing and when, you're, when you're seeking a spouse. The question is not how, 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 how do I feel about this person, but Lord, are you calling me to submit to this person? Are you calling me into this marriage? Is this person my, your desire for me? Because then you're not even looking to the man anymore. You're submitting as unto the Lord. When a, when a couple comes to me and they say, we really believe that the Lord is calling us to get married, and I, I ask them, I, I say, point to scripture and verse. What has God given you? Has God shown you that this is your spouse? Has God given you a promise? Has God given you direction about this? Has he spoken to you clearly? Because your marriage will be tested day one. And you want to be able to say, no, Lord, I'm in this because you called me to this. And so what happens, your eyes are no longer on your husband. Your eyes are on the Lord and say, Lord, you work in my husband's heart. You work in his life. I can't do it. I'm just going to submit. You know how much peace there is in that? You know how much peace there is in submission? The Bible says that our marriages are a representation of Christ in the church. We are the bride of Christ. And we are called to submit to Christ as our husband. But who does Christ submit to? He submits to the Father. Notice that you you don't hear very many messages about this. You don't hear very many messages about the humility of God. Christ submitted to the Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't give glory to himself. He gives glory to Jesus. Who does, who, does, who does the Father lift up but the Son? They're all humble in, in each other's functions. I'll say it like this. The wife or the husband is not more important. They just have different functions. They just have different roles. Right? The, 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 the divine Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal. They just have different functions. Wives, understand, you're, you're going to have the temptation. You probably can make better decisions than your husband, but you're not called to. You're called to submit. But I want you to know what the husband is called to. So ladies, we're, we're done with you. You're off, the, you're off the hook now. Let's beat up the guys a little bit. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. What does this tell you if you're single tonight? When you enter into marriage, it's not always going to be sunshines and rainbows all the time. 
there's going to be a propensity to bitterness. There's going to be a propensity to frustration. The enemy is going to, going to attack the marriage. The enemy is going to attack you. Because, understand this, marriage is a spiritual union. There's going to be spiritual warfare. Because if he can divide you, he destroys your legacy. God is seeking to develop a godly heritage within a godly home. To produce what? Godly offspring. And if he could destroy a marriage, he destroys a legacy. If he could destroy a marriage, he destroys children. If he destroys children, he destroys grandchildren. He's very methodical. He's very purposeful. And so he sows seeds of bitterness in the hearts of husbands. But what does the Bible say? Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. I want to show you what this love looks like. Right? Because like I said in Ephesians chapter 5, a lot is said to the husbands. He says... um, In chapter 5 and verse 25 of Ephesians, he says, Husbands, love your wives, but notice how. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Sometimes you you enter into a marriage and you see, see a marriage counseling come in and say, My wife's not doing this, my wife's not doing that, my wife's not doing this. Well, that's not really the issue. How are you loving your wife? Are you giving yourself for her continually? Are you pouring out and being spilt out, broken bread, poured out wine for her? Because that's what Christ was for you and that's what you're called to be for her. This is selfless. Why do marriages get destroyed today? Because of selfishness. So when you enter into a marriage, here's just a good note to think, good note to take. It's not about you anymore. You don't matter. She matters. You're supposed to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did did Christ give himself for the church? Completely. Completely. Sacrificially. That he might sanctify her. The love that you have for your wife is supposed to be sanctifying. She's supposed to be set apart. When you enter into this marriage, she is supposed to be more Christ-like. A, a scary thought to me is always that when I'm, I'm, when I'm going to have to present my wife to the Lord on judgment day, I'm supposed to present her better than I found her. And when, I, when, when we got married, I've, I've never seen anything more beautiful than my wife on her wedding day. And the Lord wants her back better than that. She's supposed to be more like Christ because of my love for her. It's supposed to sanctify her. My love is supposed to set her apart. That you might cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. If you think you're going to enter into a marriage and be more in love with God's word when you get married than you are right now, you're crazy. That's why I said start preparing now. If you really genuinely desire to be married, understand that the only power you're going to have in your life is the word of God. This word, washing by the word, is an interesting word. It means the the divine word that God has for you in your home in that moment. It means it's it's the husband's, I remember when I asked my my father-in-law if I could marry his daughter. It was in that room behind you. Behind those windows, there's a room. And the Lord had led me to have this conversation with him. And he asked me, are you ready to be the prophet, the priest, and the king of your home? Are you ready to hear for God on behalf of your family and speak forth the word of God to your family? 
Are you ready to be the priest? Are you ready to be, to be the servant of your home? And are you ready to rule as, as God has, has led you to in your own home? We're supposed to, to wash our wives with the word of God. That means you need to know the thus says the Lord for your family in that moment. And how are you going to know that unless you're connected to the Lord? The only confidence that your wife will ever have in you is that she knows that you hear God. It's not because how good you look. It's not because how much money you make. When the rubber meets the road and the decision needs to be made and you're in the hospital or you need to make a financial decision and when rent is due and there's no money in the bank or when you're called to feed your wife and there's no food on the table, you better know what the word of God is to your home. Because if you're not walking in that today, you're not going to all of a sudden walk in that in a marriage. That's why we, we are called to be men of God. We are called to know the word of God. We are called to know the word of God in season and out of season. What is God saying to me today? You know, that's my, uh, you, uh, for any other husbands in the room tonight, that is your calling. What is God saying to you? What is the word of the Lord to your family? Does the, do, does the word of God have the primary place in your home or does the culture are you directing your family by trying to keep up with the Joneses or trying to, trying to present yourself as something you're really not? Or are you cleansing your home with the word of God? Because the only power, the only authority, the only thing that produces holiness in your home is the place that you give God's word. So start giving God's word a place in your life now. You're to cleanse your wife. Your love is to, to, to cleanse the wife. Verse 27 of Ephesians 5, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Sometimes guys get married. Unfortunately, we've seen people get married and be on the honeymoon like, I'm out already. This is not what I thought. Because there's been ungodly and unholy expectations put on a wife. She's already been beat up. She's already been discouraged. Verse 28 of Ephesians 5 says, So husbands ought to love, notice, their own wives. You notice this right now? This theme that the Bible puts before us? A wife has been called to her own husband, and a husband has been called to his own wife. It's a, it's a holy union. It's you, it's your spouse, and it's God. You can take that with you anywhere. A family is not the home that you live in. A family is you, your wife, and God, your children, and God. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they notice, as they love their own bodies. Put the needs of your wife before your own needs. For he who loves his wife, notice, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We are called to love our wives in a way uh, that sanctifies them. We are called to love our wives in a way that is sacrificial towards them. The Bible says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 that husbands are to dwell with their wives according to understanding. The longer you're married to your wife, the more you realize you don't understand her. (laughs) 
But we're to be compassionate. We're to be understanding. The Bible says giving honor to them as to the weaker vessel. As being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice that your prayers may not be hindered. That your prayers may not be hindered. The effectiveness of my prayer life is directly related to my own relationship with my wife. You must dwell with your wives according to understanding. Which means you must be compassionate. You know what compassion means? It means choosing to stop your own agenda. It means to stop, stop your own thoughts, your own problems, your own trials. And choose to enter into whatever battle your wife is going through at that moment. And just be what, you need, what she needs you to be in that moment. You're to be understanding with them. You're to seek to understand them. And this is going to take a lot of patience. This is going to take a lot of prayer. Colossians 3.18, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Because I believe Ephesians chapter 5 put before us our calling to love our wives. But I want to show you again what true love looks like. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm attempting, not, not by my own um, ambition, but by, by what Scripture says tonight, to try to put before you the calling of a husband, the calling of a wife, so that you must, you, I, I don't want anyone to enter into this calling without fully understanding what it actually means. Notice, 1 Corinthians 3, 4 says, Love suffers long. Love is kind. It means that you, that you need to be kind to your wife. That you need to be long-suffering and patient with your wife. Are you that way now? Because you're not all of a sudden going to get that way in marriage. Right? Sometimes we think we get married and like lights go on and everything changes. Right? You've heard this before. Sometimes women think they're marrying Jesus. They get into the marriage. They realize they married Judas. Because you, when, you, when you live with someone and you're in that dynamic, you see what's really, what's really in the heart. We're called to love in this way. We're called to be kind. We're not, we're not called to be envious, the Bible says. Love doesn't parade itself. It doesn't make a show about itself. It's content to be the one that's not heard, not seen, or not known in the room. It's not puffed up. Literally, it's not arrogant. It's not prideful. Nothing will destroy your marriage more than your own pride. Verse 5, it does not behave rudely. If, you want to lo- if you're called to love your wife, you can't be rude to your wife. You're supposed to be kind to her. Love doesn't seek its own means like your desires, your will, your wants, your ambitions put to the side. What's best for her? It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. In other words, it, it doesn't keep an account of, of wrong. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, love hopes all things, loves endures all things. Love never fails. Let's go back to Colossians. 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be bitter towards them. Um, keep in mind what I said earlier, that love is not always an emotion. This doesn't mean that we are to constantly be caving into the wants, the needs, and the demands of your wife. You're called to lead your home. You're called to make decisions for your wife, and you're called to make the loving decision for your wife, and sometimes she's not going to agree with it. You're not a yes man to your wife. You understand me? Wives, if you marry a yes man, you've married the wrong man. You don't want a weak husband. You don't want a spineless husband. You don't want a husband that, that when you say jump, he says how high. That's not, trust me, that's not what you want. You don't want someone that's always going to be waiting on you hand and foot. You want a husband who knows the direction that God has called them to and who loves you and serves you and makes the hard decisions so you don't have to. You want a man that is willing to love God more than he loves you. A love that serves you, not serves your wants, but serves your needs. Get this really clear right now because there's a lot of marriages that suffer because men are weak. And I don't mean men are weak because they're weak. I mean men are weak because they're scared of their wives. And they're doing everything they can just to keep the wife happy. If the wife's happy, happy wife, happy life. Wrong. Wrong. If you're serving your wife's happiness, she will never be happy. Because you're supposed to set God before you. You're supposed to set God's desire before you. And you're supposed to let him go before you in your marriage. And you're supposed to lead how you are called to be led in your marriage. Let's move on. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things. When do you stop becoming a child to your parent? The answer is never. The Bible says that we are to honor our father and mother. And this is the only commandment with a blessing attached to it. Because it, 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 it promises a long life. You need, we all need to stand before this right now. The Bible talks about, in the book of Proverbs, those who, who curse their father and their mother. And even if you don't have godly parents, you're, you're, you're still called to be respectful to them. You're still called to obey them. And if you're living in your parents' house, even more so right now, you want God's blessing upon your life right now, start obeying your parents. If you live under their rule, if you live under their covering, if you're, if you're reaping to the benefits of their labor, obey them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Right? Before we've heard us say this in the past, before you make any decision in your life, the question is, is this pleasing to God? Is this pleasing to the Lord? So you no, notice this, just this order that God is setting before us. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Especially if you have godly parents. Not perfect parents. If you have parents that are seeking to walk with the Lord, obey them. Because they want what's best for you. You want to be an example of Christ in your home? Submit to them, obey them, and stop striving with them. Stop fighting against them. Stop giving them a hard time. Just surrender and be obedient. 
and watch God bless your life. Why? Because you're submitting to them, you're obeying them because it's pleasing to God. You have to look beyond the person in every sphere of life. You have to look beyond, beyond the mom that's frustrating you. You have to look beyond the dad that's frustrating you. And you have to say, I'm going to obey them because it's pleasing to God. Not grudgingly, because, but because I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And I know that this is what the Bible tells me. And truth doesn't really care about how I feel. But I know that there's blessing and obedience, so I'm going to obey. Notice these words that are being set before us. Submission and love and obedience. goes on to say in verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. In this room, there's no such thing as a person who has a, had a perfect father. Maybe your earthly father has provoked you and you have become discouraged, beat you down, disheartened. That's not what your heavenly father desires for you. Your heavenly father is always encouraging. He's always building up. He chastens, but it's always for the sake of building up. When you become a father, you're not supposed to provoke your child to discourage them. We're called to build them up, to encourage them, to pour into their lives. The Bible says that those who have many children are blessed because they have a quiverful of arrows. And when you pour into your child and you pour spiritual truth into your child, there's nothing more amazing than seeing your children being used by God. And that is your purpose in your life. Let's get away from like what has God called me to do in the ministry? What has God called me to do in this world? Understand, if you have a desire to be a husband, you have a desire to be a wife, this is a calling that God is seeking to prepare you for. And if he's calling you to be prepared for this, he's calling to you to eventually have children. And as you have children, you're supposed to raise up other children, other godly offspring that are supposed to be invested into the kingdom of God and used in the kingdom of God. That's all I care. All I, care I don't care what my kids do. I just want them to love Jesus. I don't want them to love my God. I, want, I don't them to want them Je- to love Jesus because he, he's my God. I want them to have a real, genuine encounter with Jesus, and I want to do everything I can to facilitate that. All I can do is point them in the right direction. It's their decision if they go. I can sow truth in their heart, eternity in their hearts, but it's their decision if they're going to surrender to him and love him and obey him. And that's the only hope that I have as a parent. That's the, if you have godly parents in here tonight, that's the only hope they have for you is that Jesus becomes real in your life. You're called to be a parent. You're called to raise up children as unto the Lord, to encourage them in the ways of the Lord, not to discourage them. Now Paul is going to transition from this Christian home into what we as, I guess you could say, employees and employers are supposed to look like. If you have a job, this is how you're supposed to conduct yourself in the workplace. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Again, if God is provident, I don't say that like if he may not be. No, he is provident. If you are, if you are employed at the place that you are employed at and you are in the will of God today, you are supposed to serve there as unto the Lord. 
Not with eye service. Not, don't do everything you can do to, to, cr- to, to climb the ladder of success within the company. No, you're supposed to do all things as unto the Lord. Like there should be something different about you and, uh, and every other worker there. Not because you're trying to climb the ladder, but because you're trying to please the Lord. And what this does is it turns out for a testimony to the Lord. Because people are going to look at you and say, this work is hard and you're not complaining. Our boss is frustrating and you're not complaining. You're not the one in the break room that's talking trash about, the, about your employer. You're just doing everything as unto the Lord. There's a great danger that we have in our lives today. A.W. Tozer calls it the danger of separating the sacred from the secular. And what he says by that is like that prayer and ministry within the church and serving at the church is more sacred than doing what God has called you to do at your place of employment. And that's not true. It's the heart that sanctifies the work. If you bring a heart that desires to serve the Lord in your place of employment, you can trust that God is going to use you in that place. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Verse 23 says, in whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it from the heart. Right? So what does that mean? The Bible says, we looked at this in depth last week, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. We're supposed to keep our hearts right with the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord, and not to men. We, we have so much discouragement in our lives. So much of our discouragement in our lives is rooted in the response of men towards us. Because we're trying to please man. We're trying to please our overseers. We're trying to please our employers. That's an exercise in futility and you will always be frustrated. Because if you're looking for the approval of man, you're always going to be frustrated. You weren't called to please men. You were called to please God. And if you could lay your head down at the end of the day on your pillow and say, Lord, we did good today, then you're in a good place and you have peace in your life. Do everything in your life, whatever it is, as unto the Lord. Notice why, though, in verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. So when we stand before the bema seat of Christ, And we are giving out rewards, right? Remember, all your works are going to go through the fire. Wood, hay, stubble, precious stones, gold, silver. Whatever comes out of the fire is going to be your reward. But your works don't go through the fire. The motive of your works goes through the fire. So you could do like a ton of ministry and you could give everything to, to, to sell your home and sell everything, go out in the mission field. But if you did, if you did it to, for any other motive than out of obedience and a heart towards God, then all of that life would have been a waste. Because the motive of the work is what sanctifies the work. The motive of the work is going to go through the fire. From the motive of the work, you will receive your reward. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus. Now this should change the perspective of your call as a wife. This should change your perspective as a call for your husband. Why do you submit to your, why do you submit to your husband? Do you do it as unto the Lord? Because if you do it as unto the Lord when it's difficult, you're going to receive an eternal reward for that. Husbands, why do you love your wives when it's difficult to love them? Is it because you want to be pleasing to the Lord? Because if it is, you're going to receive a reward for that. Children, why do you obey your parents? 
Is it because you, you just want to be a mama's boy or is it because you want to be pleasing to the Lord? Because for your reward, your reward will be because of your motive in eternity. Why do you do what you do in your place of employment? It's not what you do. You understand? It's why you do it. You need to do it out of a heart that is pleasing to the Lord. And you won't have this heart. You won't have this heart apart from time spent alone with God. You won't have this heart until you realize how much God loves you. That's why Paul does what he does in the epistles. He points out everything that God has done for you because the heart's response and the, the recognition of everything that God has done for them is a heart that desires to please Him, a heart that desires to walk with Him, a heart that desires to obey Him and worships Him because you're in awe of everything He's done for you. How can I but please Him? How can I but serve Him? Right? That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 are so powerful because Paul spends 11 chapters of the book of Romans telling you everything that He's done for you. What the cross means, what salvation means, and the subtraction of sin and the adding of righteousness, the work of sanctification, the work of justification in your life. And then Paul, Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, holy and beloved, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service because of everything that God has done for you. You serve the Lord Christ. Verse 25, he goes on to say, But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. Notice, and there's no partiality. Everyone is on a level playing field. You're no better than me, I'm no better than you. We're all the same in the eyes of the Lord. There's no partiality with the Lord. He who does wrong will be repaid. I believe... Uh, that the Lord, just venge the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And there's someone in this room that needs to hear that tonight. Be content to let the Lord defend you. Don't defend yourself. Let the Lord defend you. However you've been wrong, just let the Lord take care of you. And you will see he is way better at defending you than you are at defending yourselves. There's no partiality with him. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters. Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Notice he's talking to masters who are believers. You're called to be just. If you're ever in a position where you have people under you, you're supposed to give them what is just and what is fair. Because you also have a master in heaven. For those of you who don't work under believing employers, don't put the expectation of a godly man upon them. But know that there is someone over them that they will have to give an account. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, and in the, as the rivers of, of water, so he turns, he turns the heart of the king. So if you work in that environment... Know that God is still over that man, that woman, that employer, and start praying for them. And start believing that God is going to work in their hearts. The beauty of this chapter is that God has given a specific calling to us all. Right? We could look at being a husband or being a wife or being a child or being an employee or being an employer as just as something that 
like, is, is secondary. But to the Lord, it's everything. These are callings that God places upon us. And with the calling is the equipping. With the equipping, there's the anointing. He will, he will anoint you. He will equip you to be what he has called you to be. But we need to start looking at these things in our lives as divine callings. As you're praying for a spouse, Lord, who have you called me to? Because we want to serve you. What is your purpose for my life? Right? The Bible says that we're not to be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. And I wouldn't just say this. It's not just enough to say she's a Christian, he's a Christian, they should get married. They're equally yoked. No, but, but your calling should align. So the futility in walking in a room like this and trying to find out, okay, who's my spouse, that's ridiculous. Because when you put the calling of God first and foremost in your life, God will bring you the person whose calling aligns and you will walk together in unity. You won't be walking in opposite directions. You'll be walking in the same direction. If you have a calling to serve the Lord, don't marry someone who doesn't have a desire to serve the Lord. It'll always be frustration. But walk in the light of what God has called you to do. We need to be putting these biblical parameters back on marriage. Because this is the God-ordained order that God blesses. If you want blessings in your life, you want blessing on your home, you want blessing in your family, this is the order that God has called you to. Women, understand your calling. Understand what the Bible puts before you in Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3. It'll change your outlook on the person you choose to marry. Husbands, when you realize marriage isn't about you, it'll change your haste and your desire to get married. If I could sum up what marriage is, marriage is death to self. Marriage is death to self, and that's the only way marriage works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I'm thankful for the parameters you put on us. Lord, we need you. We need your direction, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need your understanding. Father, we need to know what it is you desire from us. And Lord, I pray that you would go before us and that you would anoint us now, Lord. We give you the glory, we give you the honor, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? One more song will be dismissed.